Good morning, church. You can be seated. I hope to share an encouraging message with you this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 4. A couple of verses are going to come up on, on the screen here because we're going to focus on verse 7 and 8. But just a couple of quick things about where Paul is at in his life right now. First thing that we know when he's writing this is he's in prison. So he knows he's in prison. And, and he feels that his time on earth is drawing to a close. He writes that in verse 6. My time is at hand. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. You know, I don't know if um, he knew this because it was an illness that he had with his body, or he just knew statistically that his time was drawing near, or maybe he figured that being a prisoner in a, at this point in time was not the way to a long and healthy life. So we know that he understands that his time is near. And some may even read verse 9 as an example of that too. Hey, Timothy, come to me quickly. You might have heard some pretty cool lessons out of verse 7 because there's a lot of action words that we have here, right? Fight the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. But this morning I want to take a little bit different angle on that scripture. And I want to ask, what in the world made Paul think that he could write this? Those are some pretty confident statements, aren't they? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now maybe you're thinking, well, it's Paul. I mean, this is a guy handpicked by God. He was to go and bring the word to the Gentiles. He could do miracles. Of of course Paul could say that. And maybe you'd even add, and there's no way that anybody today could say or write the same things. My message to you this morning is, I don't think that's true. (laughs) The first thing we have to understand about Paul is that he was a man. He was human. He was as flawed as you and I. I mean, you know, we, we, we understand that um, Paul did do miracles, but it was really God's power, God's miracles through Paul. Paul did not have limited or unlimited power. We kind of get a sense of that. If you take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's explaining to the church at Corinth some of the things that he's going through, some of the things where, where he's been. And he said, you know what? To keep me humble... God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And I entreated God three times to take this away from me. And in that chapter, in verse 9, God answers. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul just couldn't wish that thorn in the flesh away. He didn't have the miraculous powers to heal himself. You know, we also know that um, Paul felt alone sometimes. You can take a look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, towards the end of that chapter. He says, you know... At my first defense, everybody deserted me. Paul felt alone. We also know, just from what I said earlier, that Paul was in prison. And while God had delivered Paul from prison previously with an earthquake, Paul just couldn't zap himself out of prison either. And we also know that Paul had a past. Paul had a past. Before he became a Christian, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was even willing to go and look at killing Christians and feel very good about it. Of this and the grace that he received through Jesus, he says this in 1 Timothy 1.15, This saying is trustworthy and deserved full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. We also know that Paul had stress. Anybody ever have stress in their life? 
Paul had stress, again, writing to uh, the church in Corinth, he said, and all these other things that are going on, I have the daily pressure of the churches on me. I, I have concern for them. And some of your versions may even say the word anxious. So, Paul was a human, and he had good days and he had bad days just like us. But I think regarding verse 7, Paul is taking a look at his life right now, where he's been, where he's at, and he can confidently say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. I think it's important for all Christians to take a deep look at their relationship with God. And maybe we ask a few different questions than Paul did of himself. But really ask ourselves, can we say that? And maybe that comes down to a single important question that we can ask ourselves. Am I living a God-honoring life? Maybe we phrase it a little bit different way and we take a look at what Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Are we living our lives as a daily sacrifice to God? Well, you know, those are pretty easy, short questions to ask ourselves. Maybe the answer is a little bit more difficult. But I do believe that the answer is going to be difficult for all of us. You know that we are different, right? <laughs> I'm different than you. You are different than me. God created us that way. God created us to, uniquely to be different. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 12 or going back to Romans 12 we, where Paul uses that body, our physical body, as an example of a way of explaining that we have different parts to play. We have different talents. We have different abilities. So what a God-honoring life looks like, we really have to think about it in the context of who we are, where we're at right now, our past, the things that are going on. But I can tell you that I am not Paul. I am not you. And so what it looks like to me is probably going to look very different to you. And we can take a look at this church, this congregation, and we can see that we, we have our shepherds. We have our preaching minister. And we have our servants that are named by role in, in our bulletin. And we can say, boy, those people are, are out there. They're out there in the front fighting the good fight, fighting the battle. And, and, and that's great. But I think depending on where we're at, fighting the good fight can look a lot like this. It may be the single parent or the, or the guardian who is just absolutely at wit's end. Man, they just barely make it through every day. But at the end of that day, they pray with those children. It may be the man who just got out of prison. And he says no to his old buddies about getting together because he knows drugs are going to be there. And he doesn't want to be tempted. It may be the person that for the last week has beat their porn addiction. It may be the aged couple who the best that they can do is they get out of bed and they wobble down to the kitchen table to share that first cup of coffee and a prayer together. It might be the couple whose marriage is on the rocks. And instead of doing what is so common today and getting a divorce, they go see a counselor trying to really meet the commitment that they made before God until death do us part. It may be the teenager who in the midst of school is not laughing at the crude jokes and their friends look at them and say, didn't you think that was funny? But that teenager knows that God holds people accountable for every careless word. It might be that unique person who is really more of an introvert. You would never see them standing up here preaching. But when there is work to do with their hands, when there is a job to be done, they are first in line, getting their hands dirty. 
It might be Marcel Harpin. I don't know if you have met Marcel before he's with us today. Marcel was told about three months ago by the doctors that your time is near, dude. Your departure is imminent. He was diagnosed with sepsis in his leg and they said, we might be able to save you if we take your leg right now. Marcel did not think that that is what God wanted and he said, no, I'm going to put my trust in God. He's still with us today. Three months later, he's fighting the good fight. He gave his life to Christ in baptism three months ago as well. And I can tell you that if you get to know Marcel, he is a guy that is devoted to fighting the good fight. And whether God gives him three more days, three months, or 30 years, he's going to finish the race. Right, Marcel? Amen. I think that you get the example. I have put all of those examples under this umbrella of people who are fighting the good fight, trying to honor God with their lives wherever they are at today. I need people like that. I need people, strong people like that in my life. And I am looking at a bunch of you right now, you know who you are, who are fighting the good fight. I'm going to tell you this, you're my heroes. You are absolutely my heroes. One of the things that I really believe that the church needs to do more of is pray for those who are fighting the good fight. I think it's great that we are praying for people to get better. Absolutely. I think it's wonderful that we pray for those who are lost. They need Jesus in their lives. No doubt about it. But we also need to be praying more often and more times when we're in community for the strong. I need to be surrounded by strong people. You guys encourage me. Would you say amen to that? Amen. little homework for you. I know you like Bible homework. Look at how often Paul asked for prayers from other people. No doubt, Paul was fighting the good fight, but you read how often he wanted prayers from other people. We need to observe that as well. Now, it's so important too that we take a look at where Paul put his hope. What was Paul reaching for, right? He was searching for that crown of righteousness. That's verse 8. And he says that that reward is coming from the righteous judge, that is God, to him and who all believe and wait for his coming. So there's an important distinction here. Paul does not tie his confidence in verse 7 to his reward in verse 8. He doesn't say, look at what I have done. I fought the good fight. I've done all these wonderful things. Of course God is going to give me the reward. I am so cool, God can't help me, help it except to give me the reward. He does not tie the two together. He trusts that that reward is being delivered by the righteous judge. Not because of his acts, not because of his deeds, not because he's so cool, but because of God's plan through Jesus. Now this isn't the only place that he emphasizes this. I just want to read a couple. Uh, let's go to first. Oh, there it is. Second Timothy chapter 1. Verse 9, it's talking about Jesus, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And then go over just a couple of uh, books later in Titus, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of things that I think it's very important that we can share with Paul. 
First, the ability to consider where we are at in our relationship with God. And when we do that, can we say, I'm fighting the good fight? Number two, we have the ability to change. Paul changed on that road to Damascus. Yep, he got kind of slapped up across the face, but he had a choice, and he chose to change and follow Jesus. And third, we can share a confidence in the Lord's ability to save us. Even me, even you, even Paul. I think when we can't confidently tell people that we are saved, I, I, I really think that it hurts the cause of Christ. We need to be a people who are confident in our salvation, not because we're fighting the good fight, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And if we can't tell people that, if we can't be confident in our faith, how can we convince anybody else that their sins can be forgiven? Have you ever run into somebody that says, I, I do believe in God, but you know what? Does he know what I've done? If he knew what I've done, he knows that I'm too bad. I can't be forgiven of that. But that's not true. Look at who Jesus went to. He went to the lost. He went to the people who were steeped in sin and he said, follow me. He said, follow me. I read this in a devotional a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was so telling, this second sentence, if we could bring that devotional text up. Because it really shows what we can be when we believe in our salvation when we are confident that God has saved us. Keep going. Next slide. That's all you got. All right. Let me paraphrase. If you are somebody who is a Christian, and you have been saved, and you believe in that, here was the underlying point. You are a force to be reckoned with. Do you consider yourself a force to be reckoned with for God's kingdom? You can be if you truly are confident in God's ability to save us. Do not, get, do not doubt what God can do. Do not doubt your complete salvation. Be a force for God's kingdom. Fight the good fight. Finish the course. Keep the faith. And let's be a people that prays for people who are doing that. As they encourage us, we need to encourage them. So I'm going to ask you a question. Where are you at in the fight today? And if you're sitting there thinking that there isn't a fight, that's problem number one. Because there is a fight going on, a spiritual battle for your very souls. And there's the adversary, the devil, Satan. And you know what he wants? First of all, he wants you to believe that you're not in a battle. That you don't need to fight the good fight. He'd really love it if you just had kind of this casual relationship with God over here and you stayed on the sidelines in the battle. He doesn't want you to believe that God can save you. He does not want you to believe that God wants you in his kingdom. And then we have the opposite of the adversary. And that's the one who's for us. And that is Jesus Christ, God's son. The one who wants to make sure that you get to heaven. So sure of that was he, that he followed God's plan and went to the cross, died for our sins, and yet he was resurrected. Our Savior lives. Amen? He is the one that says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
Are you fighting the good fight for Jesus? You, there is a battle going on, and God wants you to be in it. And you can fight the good fight, you can finish the course, and you can keep the faith. We kind of have a tradition at the end of our, at the end of our lessons, we, we offer a two-fold invitation. The first one is, if you have not become a child of God, today is the day of salvation for you. You can put Christ on in baptism, and you can begin to fight that good fight. Number two, maybe you're a Christian, but you have said, I got to admit it, I've just been on the sidelines, or I don't even know what it means to fight the good fight. We're going to stand and sing a song, and, and if you fit into either one of those categories, and you want to talk to somebody right now, our, our shepherds will be in the back, and they'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you need to think about it a little bit, and you say, how do I start that conversation You know, at, at, at 11.45? Find one of us. Find a shepherd. Find one of us that, that, that can help you, that wants you to walk with God and fight the good fight. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening.